called How do I prove to the world that I'm here and that I'm a man, that I'm not a little kid anymore? And I'll only be young once. In this lifetime, you don't have to prove nothing to nobody except yourself. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. You are now listening to Right Ways Radio, hosted by Journeyman, amplifying the voices of youth development and modern rites of passage. Hello and welcome to Right Ways Radio, hosted by Journeyman. I'm your co-host, Nikki Wilkes. And I'm your co-host, Alex Craighead. Thanks for listening. Today we have an extremely special guest joining us from here, Vashon Island Zone, Michael Mead. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. For us, the role of the mentor is critical. And it feels like it's still such a void, a void in our culture of understanding what mentorship is, what it looks like. Yeah. And in my last conversation with you, uh, I heard you speaking to this idea of um, the lack of mentorship maybe being one of the causes of the disintegration of the cultural revolution in the 60s. Mm-hmm. And Alex and I have, have listened to some of your last podcasts and this theme mm-hmm. of maybe a cultural initiation and a lot of things coming into chaos, as, as you've described, might be signs that things are falling apart in the mesocosm and (laughs) that there are opportunities there, you know, to look within and also without at the greater picture. And so I guess a prompt for us to explore is like, what does mentorship look like in this context? What does mentorship, healthy mentorship look like um, as we take a really close look at the disintegration of our culture? Hmm. Well, mentoring would be a kind of organic institution if it were being practiced. And what's happening from one perspective right now is the institutions that people normally count on are rattling, if not going hollow. And, and of course, now we have an administration that announces that they want to deconstruct major uh, institutions in the culture. So that's causing the fear of chaos, but also probably actual chaos, both inside those institutions and in the people that normally would be served. You know, public institutions are supposed to protect people. That's one of the the roles. So people are more exposed to, it's strange, it's actually uh, rare. We're more exposed to climate because climate has become more extreme, and we're more exposed to the raw energies of life because culture has become unpredictable and less and more chaotic. So it's an ideal time to revive the institution of mentoring, which is an organic institution, right? All mammals mentor, maybe other other species too, uh, because it's natural. And, you know, the before the the mother bird pushes the chicks out of the nest. She demonstrates, you know, what you do when you're in the air. And, uh, she, you know, so there's a, a natural quality to it that makes it old and therefore kind of dependable. And, um, and I think it's been a big mistake to, to move away from it and have education be primarily institutional stuff. I mean, structured institution. So, 
uh, to me, mentoring has that organic quality, but also, I guess one idea that makes it a, a bit of a problem is a mentor should be further along the path than the person they're mentoring. That sets up a little bit of an issue if it's not there. And then I think it's best, it works best when the the mentee or the student or whatever going to call the person that's trying to learn um, has picked the mentor, right? So I've worked with mentoring programs all over the country. And one of the things I've seen that's most common is they'll have, uh, again, an institutional approach or a structural approach, and they'll have the, the, the organization will assign mentors to students. And I've checked into it a little bit. You get about a 50-50 uh, working possibility. But when the student or mentee picks the mentor, you're going to get a really high rate of effectiveness. Hmm. Um, and I've also done enough experiments to learn that it takes about 30 seconds to a minute for a younger person to figure out who they think could help them. It's like instinctive because it is an organic process. Hmm. And so if young people just putting, you know, in, mm, the first way that I think mentoring occurs is between younger and older. But it's not the only way. Actually, I think the mentor is the person older in knowledge. So sometimes a younger person could be the mentor of the older person, which now happens with computer software and all kinds of stuff where the younger people are more knowledgeable. Therefore, they're kind of older in the knowledge and the older people have to become the younger person. Mm. So that shows something about mentoring also, that it's based in, in knowledge and experience, not based in, in formality. Um, but so I don't know. It's risky because I've worked with organizations. They say, we're not going to let the kids pick. You know, yeah, that's what should happen because then the natural organic function occurs where I'm a young person and I see someone, I don't understand it very well, but there's something compelling about the way they do things. And then it turns out that they have a similar interest or a similar kind of a sense of destiny. And that's when it works best. I call it genius-based mentoring when it's really working. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I just felt this, not for the first time, but so clearly a week ago. A young man um, chose me, just mm -hmm. recognized that there was some part of my experience that was needed. And as you, you know, as we talk about what this looks like organically or naturally speaking, uh, I believe and I, I believe that I experience what that looks like, which is uh, that young people um, or, or anyone who's seeking that relationship innately knows what is needed and maybe can't put a name to it, but, you know, it can happen in a minute or 90 seconds and then. It's more a process of just saying yes and, and letting yeah. it take its take its course. I think at its root, mentoring is not based on someone choosing to be someone else's mentor, but it's based on someone choosing a person to be their mentor, yeah. that the, the choice runs in that direction. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious to hear you speak to what might that look like when there aren't necessarily mentors available showing up? Yeah. The lack of mentors tends to produce, um, what would you call it? I don't have the phrase for it right now. People mentoring each other with none of them having any uh, age on them. In, it, so you, you, gangs kind of work on mutual mentoring in a, in a funny way. 
And so, because um, even in sports, you normally normally would see younger people are going to pick who's good at something or who looks good to them. And, and it, it's not always the most successful player. It's the one that has a certain style or a certain way of doing it. And so when you don't have it, you tend to have, I'm trying to think of what the phrase would be. You, you, you tend to have a collegial experience, but without that dynamic. Because, um, so it's, I mean, it's just stuff I've learned. So if, I've done a lot of mentoring with um, highly at-risk young people. And the good thing about that is the issues are right there. I mean, they're life and death issues. And so it takes a lot of the um, mediocrity out of it. You got to either show up or not show up. And so if, if it's mentoring, then you have to show up as a mentor. And and they can evaluate real quickly whether you're showing up or not. And and so that advances the dynamic a lot, I think. But one of the things I found was that in mentoring, um, I was getting pushed further down the path by those I was mentoring. And at the same time, I was pulling them a little bit. So everybody gets traction out of it. Mm. Like I remember being uh, at a point in my life where I was dealing with personal issues and, and feeling kind of overwhelmed and feeling like, okay, I don't know if I can really make any, uh, big, have a big effect right now. And But I was mentoring a lot of these young people in trouble. And they started saying to me, listen, you know, we we can't afford to have you stopping. <laughs> we are really counting on you to keep a bunch of things moving so that we can also move with it. And that was a great thing for me. I realized that I owed them something, not in some, you know, I don't know if that makes sense, that word owed, that I was benefiting from mentoring them and they were clear that they were benefiting and so we both needed to move forward. And so it gave me courage at a time when I was like not sure what to do with my own life. And so there's a really strong dynamic there. It's strongest when both are on the same path. Then you, you know, it's compelling. It's as, it's as if both have the same destination or destiny would be the old word. And so then you can get a tremendous amount of life traction. Yeah, I feel as though there's many people out there that don't realize that mentorship is often mutually beneficial. They see it as a service for someone else, whereas yeah. in reality, it often ends up benefiting the person mentoring equally, if not more, for than the youth. Uh, I heard you mention um, gangs as a one model of mentorship, maybe healthy, maybe not, depending on who you ask. Um, I taught at a school that was for kids that had been expelled from high schools around the San Francisco area, and most of my students were also in gangs. And a lot of my outside friends, outside perspectives from that community didn't understand why students would ever join a gang. And when I really dove into the topic and tried to understand what these students were seeking, it started to make sense to me why they would join a gang. Security, respect, support, and, and some form of community. And I'm curious to hear you speak to the the topic of, of gangs and what we can offer youth in those contexts, youth in those environments that may offer them an alternative to choosing a life in a gang or some form of, of lifestyle in that direction. Um, working in gang environments, we used to say 
in order to understand the dynamic of what was going on, we used to say it's gangs all the way down. Seahawks, gang. Police, city police, gang. If you watch the behavior, they act like gangs. Um, a basketball team, gang. In, in the best sense that you get those qualities you mentioned. And so when you're a good member of the team, you're loyal and you're going to throw your body down to, to help your other members. And it's that same stuff that organizes the gang. The difference is what it's aimed at. So when we were working, we're doing a lot of gang work and we figured out, don't try to break up the gang, try to change the aim of the gang because then you could have the cohesion and you could have even the sense of loyalty um, and you just change in the direction. And that worked to some degree. But the other way I, I started to think about it was if, if you're in contemporary urban situation and you're going to call your gang members homes. Hey, you're my homes. You know, you're my homie. You're my homes. And I started to hear that as I have a home with you. That when I'm with you, I have a home. It's not just that we come from the same home place it's that we actually have a home with each other and that became really clear when i started to work with homeless youth who are really isolated they don't even form gangs they form very temporary connections and then they're gone so i started to think of young people uh in you know dangerous situations as the homies and the homeless and then i got a little further into it and found out that the method of mentoring this is interesting too the method of mentoring the homies, most of the homies don't have fathers. There's really, it's, it's parts of the culture where the fathers are missing. And that's when you look, you know, if you, you got young guys and there's no fathers. They're going to look for filling in the gap somehow. Older gang members can function like that father or other gang members. And so there's a component of working with gang-related youth that has to do with this missing father figure, I think. And then imagine... The homeless, it's the opposite. They don't have a mom. They got kicked out of their home. Most homeless kids have been kicked out. And some of them are have uh, mental and emotional challenges, and some of them there's a gender issue or, or something like that. And so I found that they were missing a, a mom. So to me, mentoring is not parenting. It's supposed to be a very different thing. At the same time, it's worth noticing that certain mentoring situations, there's a lack of father presence, a lack of father understanding, and in other cases, a lack of mother presence and mother understanding, and you have to act differently in those cases. You don't want to become their parent, but you have to understand what the parental problem is. Like we were doing a thing in Olympia with homeless kids. It's an amazing program, and, and they would come in every day, and, and we worked there like for, it was a week-long project with very intense involvement for a week. And there was one big, big guy that would come in and sit down right up the front and he'd speak up. And I kept noticing that his shoes were like not actually shoes. They didn't have all the parts a shoe should have. Like mostly they didn't have bottoms on them, you know, or soles. And so it was really bothering me, you know. So one day I said, what size shoe do you wear anyway? And he said, why? And he started showing me this strange shoe so he told me so i went and bought a pair of shoes you know and i gave it to him the next day and and i was thinking through and going well i'm not his mom but i bet no one's ever given him anything and and i think he needs shoes so i gave him the shoes you know and he just broke down crying and it, tried to give him back and he didn't want to take them and then and then 
after crime, he acknowledged that he had never, he felt he had never been given anything. He was uh, in uh, foster homes and everything and then on the street. And if you're in a, uh, with the homies, you're probably not going to do that. You're going to get challenged for doing that. That's going to be like, wait a minute, man, you're crossing a line somewhere. You're making me feel like less of a person or are you making a move on me or what are you doing? Because that other that other kid needed a mom, and it's not the same if you're going across the street where the homies are. Mm-hmm. So I mean, those are the kind, that's the way I learn things is by trying them out. Mm-hmm. You know, so mentoring will have the challenge oftentimes, especially if it's young people in trouble. They will try to turn you into their father or mother, and doing part of that is proper. I think, you know, you don't want to deny something that someone really needs, but then getting confused between mentoring and parenting is a different issue. Like in a lot of places I, I've been working, people try to take the kids home, actually take the kids home. That's not the best idea usually. That's a different program. Yeah, and you know, with, with a different population, maybe to some extent what we experience here on Vashon and certainly in more affluent neighborhoods where you know, there's not just both parents present, but like hyper parenting taking place. And, you know, in, in my experience as a as a coach, as a youth advocate and working with a lot of um, students who were approaching the college application process, I felt like that um, the helicopter parent um, overtaking not just the parent role, but also maybe suffocating any possibility for mentorship taking place. And, you know, I'm, I, I've felt the power of the mentor role outside of parenthood. And I, I can also, you know, I actually just remember a story that was recently handed to me of, um, you know, a, a single mom and uh, her son who moved to a new neighborhood. And it's summertime, so he's not in school yet. And he's kind of roaming the neighborhood uh, trying to figure out what to do with his time. And he notices that their neighbor is an older man who's out working on his car. And, uh, you know, the boy's kind of testing it out for a couple days, wandering around, kind of hovering. And eventually, you know, the, the, the neighbor, the man notices and says, Hey, you want to come and you want to come and check this out? And, um, you know, the boy spends most of the day over there and he comes home and tells mom and says, Hey, I was over with the neighbor and working on his car and learning a little bit about this and seems kind of excited. And, it triggers something in the mom, you know, why does this old man want to be spending time with my, you know, young son, what's going on here? And I sense that, you know, that's, that's a unique story, but there's also a fear there. There's a fear of this, maybe letting go of, of some of the ownership of the process of raising our children. And I'm kind of curious, like, where does that come from? And how can we help heal that a bit and relieve some of the pressure that I think a lot of parents feel today to do it all? and maybe do so much that they can't even take care of themselves very well. Yeah, mentoring would be the natural place where the parents get to let go and pursue their own destinies, and then the young people find theirs with someone else. Parents don't necessarily know why their children are on earth. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully they know how to love and protect them and feed them. But understanding why they're here is not part of parenting, usually. And in Ireland, they used to say that a child is born from three sources. From the combined energies of the parents, 
from the unseen energies of the ancestors and from the surprising presence of their own spirit. That gives parents only one-third responsibility. That should be a relief. But if the parents are afraid of life, they're going to overprotect the child. If they overprotect the child, the child can't trust themselves. And they get into the, just the kind of trouble the parents were afraid might happen because they didn't learn how to trust themselves. You know, they didn't learn their own instinct. If the, let's say, the mothering instinct is excessive, it squashes the natural instincts of the child. And so the child is actually more vulnerable in the world. I mean, it's a fearful world now, but people have to learn how to intuitively and instinctively recognize when a situation is dangerous and when it was not. I was talking about Vashon. I come out of uh, a, bu- a building on Vashon one day, and there was a little girl sitting there by herself next to a bush outside the building, and she had a tea set, and she was making a tea party. It was really cute, and she was all by herself. And I had a daughter, and my daughter, when she was small, loved to have a tea party. I've been at a lot of tea parties. So I just said, you having a tea party? And she said, yeah, you want some? You want some tea? So I sat down, and we're having a tea party. And her mother came out of whatever she was doing and saw her child, never checked me out, never checked the child out, never saw if it, what kind of situation was, was, you know, never asked me if I had children, what was going on. You know, she, she didn't even know the credentials I had for little kid tea parties. <laughs> and uh, she came and grabbed her daughter and started saying, I don't ever want you want to talk to strangers or anything. And I just stood there and thought, what can I do? If I correct the parent, I'm not going to be helping the child. So I had to let it go. And I thought, now there's a little girl who's going to get in trouble because she won't know. She, she was in no danger with me, and she knew it. It's the mother that didn't know it. So when you have fear at that level and, like you say, hyper-protection, it's going to actually make those children more susceptible to dangerous situations. And that happens more in a nuclear family situation because if it was more of a collective kind of thing, other people would be saying to mom or dad or whoever, hey, calm down, calm down, your kid's fine. They can make their own, you know. Not that there aren't dangers, but that if you overprotect, you're creating danger. So again, the lack of mentoring kind of intensifies the sense of responsibility and expectation of the parents in a way that's not good for the children or the parents. You know, I mean, I've been a parent. I kind of tried to raise four kids. And there's a point where the parents should be pursuing their own life because the kids can then come back and say, I saw that. I, you know, because children pay attention to what happens, not what's said usually, and come back and say, I saw you pursuing something meaningful and that gave me the courage to try it, you know. Yeah, I'm noticing how how interwoven the ideas or the, the practices of doing our own work and then showing up for another as a mentor or a parent are. Um, I think it's Bly who talks about the bag we drag behind us. And what feels uh, important for me is as we hope to cultivate a, a desire and a sense of duty for adults to show up as mentors, um, show up as good parents, or maybe show up less as parents to their own children in some ways, I've heard some aversion from stepping into that role, both as parent uh, from new fathers that I know and some new mothers too, and people who are considering mentoring with this idea that they they have to be perfect or they have to be done. And 
you know, what, what, what's the most valuable part of being a mentor? Is it about having, uh, you know, being done with our, with our emotional baggage or our karmic patterns, or is it about, you know, being current with it and being willing to look at it and be vulnerable? Well, much more being current and being vulnerable. But if I had to pick one thing that's meaningful in mentoring, but in many other situations, but critical to mentoring, authenticity, be authentic. Um, sometimes, well, certainly I have benefited from and seen a lot of people, young people benefit from seeing an older person who apparently is accomplished in some ways be completely vulnerable because it says, you know, the things I'm going through uh, are also okay. My vulnerability is not a disqualifying thing. It maybe is a, a qualifying thing. So being authentic is the key. I mean, what I've done, I guess you could call radical mentoring. It, it happens with very little structure, and we go into a, a severely at-risk community and just meet people. It's a range. We're not going in. Like, you can't go in and say, hey, I'm a mentor. Line up. You know, you get, you get your ass kicked, hopefully. But um, we're brought in to situ situations where something is needed, and I've learned to feel it out and then be authentic. Like I've been, I'm in a lot of situations where it's uh, multicultural at best. Sometimes I'm the only white person present. And so how do you cut through those kind of confusions that can happen? You be authentic about yourself and everybody gets who you are and then whatever the outside th things are are not that important. The problem with being authentic is it's actually scary, you know. And so, I mean, I've been in situations where the only genuine thing to do is be vulnerable. I've been in other, other situations where the only genuine thing to do is really challenge people, say, wait a minute, you know, this is out of control here, or, you know, and then you, you have to live with whatever happens. But I think authenticity is the key, and from what I can tell, young people in this culture now often do not experience enough authentic uh, folks. You know, there's a kind of a serious lack of authentic experience of others. And so you actually have young people with a heightened sense of the inauthentic. They've been they've been kind of sold games and things as if that would make their life better. Some mentoring now is happening through, you know, online gaming, which is kind of some of it's all right. But it's like, wow, you could have got that from a real person if we had if we had done this better. And so how do you cut through that? Be authentic, you know. I was just mentoring some people who were going to be going uh, to work in prison, and uh, and they have good intentions, but they have never been in prison. And prison is a different culture. And I've worked in prisons, and so they were saying this: "What do we do? I, I haven't committed crimes. I'm not a tough person. I'm scared." I said, "Start with that. Just say you're scared." They can feel it anyway. If they know anything about what's going on, they're going to pick it up. So why not put it on the table? I'm scared, and here's the way in which I'm scared. And and then at least they know you're coming for real. And then you're also secretly inviting them. Well, where are you at? You know, because they're scared too. I think that theme of being scared or fear is really what plays into a lot of people not showing up as mentors. Um, that sense of vulnerability showing up in that way and exposing yourself in front of others can be scary, especially when it's teenagers and teenagers from a background that's quite different than yourself. 
I remember my first day going into my job at that old high school and I was so nervous showing up. What am I going to say? What am I going to do? Are they going to respect me? And ultimately it came down to being very authentic and showing up in a way that they knew they could trust me. Um, Michael, your resources and content is best found at mosaicvoices.org. A wealth of uh, great content in audio form. You can purchase your books there. And you've actually been producing your own podcast for a while now. We highly recommend for our listeners to go and check out uh, mosaicvoices.org and learn about Michael's great work through his organization, um, the Genius Project. Is that correct? And also strong encouragement to attend one of the events coming up here on Vashon. If anyone's uh, listening from the Puget Sound area, certainly a great opportunity to dive into this work in a meaningful way. Again, thanks, Michael. We so appreciate you being here with us. Yeah, well, thank you both. Thank you for the work you're doing and what you're trying to do for young people here on Vashon and beyond. Thank you for that. Special thanks to our sponsors. Voice of Vashon, broadcasting from the Puget Sound on KVSH 101.9 FM. Pura Vida, handmade bracelets from Costa Rica, supporting full-time jobs for local artisans. You've been listening to Right Ways Radio, hosted by Journeymen. Thanks again for joining us. If you like what you heard, subscribe via iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher Radio. And remember to leave us your feedback, and please give us a rating. Find us online at www.journeymen.us.